the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky addresses Congress. And your support is crucial, not just to stand in such fight, but to get to the turning point to win on the battlefield. We'll hear from General Jack Kane. Putin is an aggressor who's on the march. And if we don't stop him here, he'll just continue to march. With the 118th Congress approaching, the GOP majority is not elected as Speaker of the House. A leader has to be able to look in a single direction to understand that he is leading a unified front. The challenges are on us. We don't exist until we have a Speaker. At the top of the list. China wants to control the world. All this and more. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Great to be with you. Catch my program each weekday morning live, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time and on demand 24-7. Learn more at HughHewitt.com. And follow me, please, on Twitter at Hugh Hewitt. Follow this program as well at Town Hall Review. We'll start right here in the Beltway, where on Wednesday, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky arrived here in the United States. It is his first trip to the United States since the unprovoked attack from Russia on his country in February. On Wednesday night, he spoke to Congress. The flag of those who defend Ukraine, Europe, and the world at the cost of their lives. They ask me to bring this flag to you, to the U.S. Congress, to members of the House of Representatives and Senators whose decisions can save millions of people. So let these decisions be taken. Let this flag stay with you, ladies and gentlemen. He closed then return to the mic for one more comment. May God forever bless the United States of America. Merry Christmas and happy victorious New Year. Retired General Jack Kane, now serving with the Institute for the Study of War, has been tracking the situation closely. He talked to Joe Piscopo just before Zelensky's arrival. From AM 970, The Answer in New York City. President Zelensky coming to the United States. Uh, what is that all about? Is there something about this that we're missing? Is he coming, hopefully, to say thank you uh, to Congress, sir? Well, certainly. Uh, I think it's about solidifying the relationship with the United States even closer than what it, than what it already is. And Zelensky and Putin both know that the war is likely to be protracted. It's, gonna, it's not going to end as a result of the winter, the spring, or likely in the summer. Uh, at all. And certainly, uh, President Zelensky is going to do as you suggest. He's going to thank the president, thank the American people through the Congress of the United States for their help. And of course, he's going to emphasize he needs their continued support. And I, and I think it, it is an important time. And I think uh, Zelensky wanting to come and President Biden want, also wanting him to come uh, makes a lot of sense. The Congress is turning and there may be more opposition to funding uh, uh Ukraine as compared to to the past, and uh, Putin is always counting on that uh, the political winds will shift in America and people will stop supporting it in Europe. He thinks uh, Putin thinks that 
Europeans will eventually take a knee because of the impact of the energy sector on their everyday life. But the resolve among the Europeans, the United States, and support of Ukraine is has been very, very solid and beyond most people's expectations. I think it, it has to do with the seriousness of what is happening, that Ukraine could lose its entire sovereignty and its population to Russian control, and that would just encourage Putin to do more. As your General Jack Keane, you know, General... Uh, when you're you're the chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, you know this better than anybody. And I said this earlier. I, I understand, and you and I have chatted about this before, General. The Ukrainian refugees are, are bringing in children to Russia. That's what Russia is doing. They're killing Ukrainian and the parents of these children, bringing in children, raising them as Russians. We don't even know. I don't know what's going on in Siberia. Prisoners of war. We don't know the half of it. And that is a reason enough to go help Ukraine, in my opinion. Why is there opposition to it? And what am I missing when people are suspect of Zelensky, people are suspect of Ukraine? I know they, they, they invented corruption. We got it. But right now, how do, you, how do you not help a country being decimated by a, by a Hitler-esque individual like Vladimir Putin, correct? Right. Well, the last time we experienced anything like that was certainly uh, what brought on World War II when uh, Hitler exactly. and Germany began to do the exact same thing. And it was interesting at the time, uh, particularly when the political rhetoric started before the the guns that Hitler unleashed, um, you know that people had been through World War One, all of the leaders at the time, and many of them were were disbelieving. You know, this is not going to turn into that kind of aggression, even though the speech would tell you Hitler's speech would tell you that. And, and they were worn down by World War One, and, and they sort of ignored what was happening for for far too long a period of time. So there are people who don't want to be involved. They don't see the value of Ukraine. It's not in the United States. It's not a territory of the United States. Uh, it's not a part of NATO. And and I think they're welcome to that opinion. I, I happen to disagree with it because I think we've learned from history, uh, Putin is an aggressor who's on the march. And if we don't stop him here, he'll just continue to march. This is what we have learned throughout history. And at some point, good people have to come together to stop these thugs and killers. And I think that's what the United States and the Europeans are trying to do. And even though, in my opinion, General Keene, President Trump held Putin at bay, he knew how to play him, in my opinion, sir. And, and, and that Putin was afraid, so this should never have happened. But now that it did, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, vital that, that, that we step up. Do you think that Zelensky is, is coming uh, to America because of uh, Putin making that trip to Belarus by chance? No, I don't think it's, it's too much about that. I mean, um, Lukashenko and, and Putin have always had a frosty relationship. Lukashenko does not want to give Putin his forces, which wouldn't add much to the fight anyway. They're very small military, wow. not particularly well-trained. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, I think Zelensky saw what that visit was, was all about. I mean, they, uh, Putin had been there in a number of years, but uh, Lukashenko had seen, seen Putin. I think this visit is all about the relationship between the United States and, and, and Ukraine and the political leaders committed to each other on behalf of, of, of their people. And I think he's just trying to make certain. I mean, he's going to ask for specific things, Joe, for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, what it's really about is cementing this relationship for the long term. Yeah. Uh, so Because he knows he can't make it if the United States starts to back away. He, he knows that completely. The Europeans yeah. could not do this by themselves. The serious situation in Ukraine is, of course, just one of the challenges facing the nation. 
We have the border crisis, an economic crisis, a weakened military, Iran, China. We've got challenges to face. The nation just elected a Republican majority to the House of Representatives. Among the freshmen in the 118th Congress, there are a number of very sharp veterans, including Derek Van Orden, a Navy SEAL, victorious over the incumbent in Wisconsin's 3rd Congressional District. Van Orden was a guest on my program. I, mean, I have confidence in this 118th Congress coming up, uh, the freshmen, that we're going to be able to do great things for America because we're looking at the mission, and the mission is America. It's not our own personal political wants and needs. Now, Representative-elect Van Orden, I don't want you to pick fights with the what I call the knucklehead caucus, the five guys who are holding up the transition. I don't want you to do that. You don't need that. But I am curious about when you got recruited, if Kevin McCarthy played a role in wooing you into the race, or who got you, Derek Orden, to say, yes, finally, go for it? Me and my wife. Um, Kevin McCarthy didn't recruit me. Kevin McCarthy helped me immensely to get elected, as he did with the vast majority of the folks that are coming in. I want to be really clear. I'm not using the term knucklehead. And I don't think you should either. You. Uh, these are people that have they have a divergent political view than we do, um, and they, they have a different way that they're trying to get their point across. Would I do that? Absolutely not. No. The reason we have the majority in the House is because of the, the team that Kevin McCarthy assembled and led. Cut to the end, period. That's it. And that deserves... Uh, the ability for him to, to continue to lead this team for the next couple of years. So um, I, I'm looking forward to working with these guys. I, I'm confident that they're going to come around. They need to understand that the reason, I want to say it again out loud, the reason that we took the House is because of Kevin McCarthy's efforts, the team that he assembled and led. And here's another thing, Hugh. People forget that in 2020, Nancy Pelosi had 222 seats. How many seats do we have now? 222. It's exactly the same margin. But the Democrat Party, and unfortunately a lot of the Republicans, built this up where they thought Ronald Reagan's going to come sliding down a unicorn or on a rainbow on a unicorn and that we're going to have 435 Republican members of Congress. That's just not true. But we have the same exact same majority that Nancy Pelosi had in 2020. So we need to get together as a conference and leverage uh, the ability to affect positive change in the United States of America in the House. And if we do that by being team players. Now, Derek, duly noted your objection to knucklehead, but not persuasive. I want to tell you why. 31 (laughs) years I've been in this chair. 31 (laughs) years. I have never seen a dumber move because we have a select committee on China to stand up that is urgently necessary. We have a judiciary committee that's got to look at the FBI and what they were doing with Twitter. We have an appropriations committee that were we in place would be able to negotiate right now with the Senate on this one point seven trillion. Now, I don't expect you to throw in on that. That's just Hugh Hewitt after 31 years. I've never seen anything this dumb. Uh, what what would you do with a, a teammate? And these are Republican teammates, right? I'm a Republican. Everyone knows that. Yes, what would you do with a teammate that you served with for a long time who just did a bonehead move? <laughs> well, Hugh, I got to tell you, you just re- reordered my priorities for Congress. I want, at one time, I want to have a convincing argument that changes your mind. I don't care what it's about. It could be about <laughs> lunch. But if I can pull that off, I've been a, a successful legislator. Hey, so this is how I approach this problem. Sir. If Admiral Nimitz had to look in front and behind him all the time, we never would have conquered Japan in World War II. If General Patton had to look forward and back at the same time, we never would have uh, gotten through Tunisia, through Northern Africa, and then finally into uh, Southern Europe. If Eisenhower had to look in front and behind him, we never would have conquered France and gotten into Germany and ended World War II. So a leader has to be able to look 
in a single direction to understand that he is leading a unified front. So coming from a military background, that's how I view these things. We have a mission to accomplish, and the mission is America. And the person that's leading the party has to understand that the folks behind him um, are not trying to kick him or her out of, of office constantly or have the ability to do so because that degrades the ability for us to work as a unit. Gosh, and that's brilliantly put. That's, that's it. Leave it there because I got a substantive question, not political. You, okay. I assume, during your deployments went to Djibouti, right? At some point, you must have been in Djibouti. The Chinese are building, a, they're, they're trying to basically buy Djibouti. Does that concern Derek Van Orden having been a veteran of our facilities and operations there? 100%. So if the Chinese are capable of taking control of Djibouti, we have a real problem because they already own the railroad that goes across the Panamanian Isthmus to control the Panama, the Panama Canal. That means that the Chinese would, in effect, have control over the Panama Canal and the Suez Canal. And those are really bad things for really big picture stuff that I believe that President Xi is working on. I mean, this this guy thinks in strategic 20-year terms, and unfortunately, yep. we have people we have people throwing rotten fruit at each other, and they can't even figure out that the you know where the Wuhan virus came from. Coming up, more on the challenges facing the GOP in transition. We don't exist until we have a speaker. Congressman Mike Gallagher, when the Town Hall Review returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. The challenge that we have in Ukraine, that is helping the war-torn nation garner adequate support to regain its territory, deter future Russian aggression, it has a number of factors. There is an isolationist faction on the right today and one on the left. And there is frustration shared broadly that the U.S. has shouldered the burden of NATO-related defenses for far too long. Germany, for example, made a commitment to vastly expand its military and to provide some of that new military capability to Ukraine. I turn to another congressman from Wisconsin, Mike Gallagher. Did you see their their Puma tanks didn't work? All of them? All of them did not work. Yeah, that's not it's, it's not great. And I think, you know, yet another warning sign that the West has been complacent for for far too long. And it is time to rearm before it's too late. Uh, now, we have some countries that I do think get it. And one of the positive externalities of the terrible tragedy in Ukraine is it's forcing countries, well, not forcing, but I think a lot of countries are, are, are starting to act with a sense of urgency when it comes to rearming in other parts of the world. For example, Japan is doubling defense spending, in part thanks to Putin's miscalculation. And that action by Japan there's far more to deter Xi Jinping in China than whatever we could shift from Europe to the Pacific. Uh, the prospect that Beijing would have to face both the United States and a rearmed Japan is a condition that will strengthen deterrence. So wherever we see partners and allies taking steps to increase their lethality, to wake up from the complacency that has lulled the West to sleep for the last 
few decades. Uh, we need to praise that. We need to double down on that. We need to work with our allies to ensure that neither Putin nor Xi Jinping nor the terrorists in Tehran think they can get away with invading countries or attacking us or our allies. But it is a mixed bag, to be sure. We're learning a lot about modern warfare, as well as the role of information in modern warfare, as well as the role of artificial intelligence and loitering munitions in modern warfare, a whole host of lessons learned in Ukraine that we're going to have to apply to Taiwan, lest we see another deterrence failure in a different part of the world. Are you able to gear up during this interim because of the paralysis in the House Republican caucus? Well, I mean, we're not we don't exist until we have a speaker. No, no committees do because you need a speaker. Then you pass the rules package, which, which instantiates various committees. The standing committees get set up first and then the select committees, uh, the intel committee and then the select committee on China will be the last. To, to get set up. So every day we delay on that speaker vote is a day we delay in setting up the select committee on China. And that tends to compound. I used to have a saying uh, with my staff, which is that if you win the first quarter, you win the Congress. I mean, so much needs to get done in that first quarter. If you find yourself behind the curve, other things start to happen, sort of the, the looming threat of the next election sets into Congress. Uh, so you really have to be aggressive out of the gate. So I worry about that, that delay, and I hope we don't waste a significant portion of January. There is no alternative to Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy did more than anyone else to win us the majority. I wish we had a 50-seat majority, too, but we don't. But our majority is the only thing standing in the way of total progressive craziness from the Biden administration. So thank God, Kevin McCarthy did work his tail off to give us that majority. And we have an opportunity, if we stay united, to conduct aggressive, serious, sober oversight of the executive branch and give the American people a sense of accountability for the out-of-control federal bureaucracy. I grant that we're not gonna be passing transformative legislation in a divided government and that's not the signal the American people sent in the last election. The signal the American people sent is let's pump the brakes on the crazy and let's do the basic blocking and tackling of good government. And when it comes to China, I think we absolutely have an opportunity to do that, as well as lay somewhat of a, a bipartisan foundation for U.S. foreign policy. So we don't have time to waste. Certainly our foremost competitor adversary, the Chinese Communist Party, is not delaying their plans at all in terms of getting ready to take Taiwan by force if necessary. So let's not waste the opportunity we have. Let's come together and let's do some serious work on behalf of the American people. Mike Gallagher is set to chair the Select Committee on China in the next Congress. China is really the top national security threat facing us today and for the foreseeable future, for decades and degeneration. Hopefully our nation, including our representatives on both sides of the aisle, start to wake up. Julie Hartman is the host of the new Timeless podcast. She turned to John Moody, author of a new book on China, The World We Wish. I try to talk about China as much as I can. They see that we have succumbed to these woke ideas, that in schools we are teaching people about pronouns and about gender fluidity instead of, again, economic or technical skills. And so they don't want to do business with us anymore because they don't view us as the strong, powerful country that we once were. 
it just seems that we Americans don't have a clue as to the severity of the threat that we are facing from that country. And the thing that I find to be so eerily brilliant about China is that their strategy to undermine us is pretty secretive and backdoor. They use TikTok and drones to spy on us. They're buying these terminals at ports around the world to try to interfere in commerce. And they're producing fentanyl and selling it to these drug cartels, which are funneling it across our border and killing Americans. And when I was reading your book, you highlighted yet another part of this secretive strategy, and that is artificial intelligence. So I want to start out by asking you, can you tell our listeners what artificial intelligence is and how the CCP is using it against Americans and against its own people? Well, sure. And, and Julie, you've, you've put a pretty strong list of, of offenses out there. Other than that, they're really nice guys. Yeah, um, exactly. China wants to control the world. China wants to um, overcome the advantages that the United States has had for the past half century. Uh, it is using its vast, vast artificial intelligence advantage over us. Uh, and what is artificial intelligence? It used to be called machine learning. Uh, and then uh, machine learning could no longer describe the speed and digital, digitization with which artificial intelligence was growing. It is when you put information into a computer of any magnitude, uh, quantum computers are now being used uh, most efficiently for that, and it learns. It learns what you have told it, and it remembers it, and it can, it can speak it back to you. Uh, it can do almost anything that you want it to. It can now do mathematics much more quickly than humans. Uh, we've, I've just seen recently an article where, uh, with, with the use of artificial intelligence, um, China can now insert tiny microscopic robots into the bloodstream of people. Uh, now, the, the stated reason for this is that they would find and target and eradicate cancer cells in the body. But there is also research being done that would keep people at bay, allow them, not allow them, rather, uh, to live their normal lives because they have a robot inside their brain telling them what to do. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, they're saying that it's to help with cancer, but nothing is ever really what it seems as far as the motivations of the CCP. Coming up. It is something that 1984 doesn't even come close to describe. More on China when the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Stay with us. Hey, everybody. Charlie Kirk here. We've been working very hard on an amazing new docuseries called Border Battle. It chronicles the horrifying conditions on America's southern border. What you are going to see in Border Battle will blow your mind. It's amazing. First-hand interviews, incredible commentary, straight up on the front lines. We've worked very hard on this from Turning Point USA, and we are exposing the border crisis. Available exclusively on SalemNow.com. Produced by Turning Point USA. Available at SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. The late Christopher Hitchens, a frequent guest on my program during his life and a friend, once made the argument to me that we should have cordoned off East Berlin in the days immediately after the fall of the Berlin Wall, making it a museum of sorts. Why? So people would know what it's really like under a totalitarian regime. We in the West are prone to forget. And East Germany under the Stasi, or the Soviet Union crawling with the KGB, 
starting to look somewhat weak when we see China's surveillance state taking shape. Let's pick up with Julie Hartman talking to John Moody about that surveillance state that is the Chinese Communist Party's China from her timeless podcast. China is using these digital watches that we all have to monitor the heartbeat of their citizens in order to tell if they are having impure thoughts about the regime. Can you say more about that and some of the other technologies that China is using to surveil people? Yes. Um, so many people consider China to be a communist state. That is no longer an adequate description of China. Indeed, the Communist Party of China controls the country, but it's moved well beyond the old-fashioned Marxist-Leninist ideas of what communism is supposed to be. China is actually an information state. They have the ability to gather huge, huge amounts of information, on, not just on their citizens, but on other citizens of other countries. Uh, you've mentioned the uh, um, uh, digital watches. Those watches, one, one of the so-called benefits of digital watches is that they can monitor your heartbeat for you. And you think of that as, well, that's good for my health. I can see how fast my heart's beating and, and it'll make me a healthier person. Fine. You'll know how fast your heart's beating. So will the people in Beijing who are recording and, and keeping records on every single heartbeat in your body. They do it with their own citizens. And if they see somebody crossing the street with an irregular heartbeat, they just assume that that person is harboring thoughts that are contrary to what the Communist Party wants. Uh, they also have CCTV cameras at almost every intersection of Beijing, Shanghai, Wuhan, uh, Guangzhou. All the major cities have CCTV cameras on every intersection. And when you're walking across the street, they're recording your eye movement to see if you might be harboring, as you put it, impure thoughts. It is total control of the population. It is something that 1984 doesn't even come. It is something that 1984 doesn't even come close to describing, close to describing. And it's getting more uh, prevalent, not less. You know, people think that it's a conspiracy theory that they are spying on us through these devices, but it's not. And it comes from the fact that we don't want to believe that it's true. But if we continue going down this path where we just deny the threat that China is posing, we are really going to be in big trouble. I mean, I remember President Biden saying before he was president about China uh, and the threat that it may pose. He goes, come on, man, China isn't that big of a threat to us. They can't even figure out how to manage the ships in the South China Sea. And then he said something about the mountains in the West. Do you have any faith that our leaders right now have a grasp on China and the threat that it poses to us? Well, some do. Uh, Governor Nome in South Dakota has banned the use of TikTok on yes. any kind of state applications, uh, any, anything to do with the state of, of South Dakota. I believe Governor Abbott in Texas has followed her lead, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Governor DeSantis in Florida doing the same thing. So they understand the threat. I don't think that the Biden administration wants to understand the threat. They've got enough problems. Uh, they are already way behind in, in artificial intelligence research. They don't want to admit it, and they don't want the Chinese to move any faster than they already are moving to further um, uh, cement their knowledge of what Americans are living, doing, eating, breathing, and thinking. I want to go back to this point that we were talking about with regard to their spying on us, because sometimes I will talk to people about TikTok, and I'll say 80 million Americans use this app, and the CCP is collecting our data. 
And the response that I get from people is, well, so what? So what if they're collecting our data? I'm just an anonymous citizen. I'm one of 350 million Americans. China has 1.5 billion citizens to manage. You know, who cares if they have some information about me or who cares if they're looking, you know, through my camera and watching me? So what's your response to that, John? Well, that, that's the attitude that China hopes we will continue to have. Uh, it is very quietly, uh, without making a big fuss, collecting all of this data. And it may be true that you don't care if China knows whether you have a really cool dance video on TikTok. Uh, but they do know how you pay for, pay for products that you buy that way. They know uh, what uh, ads you call up on your phone and on your, on your laptop. And they know how you use those products and what you're interested in when you go online. When you give your product information to TikTok, it's getting used against you. Catch the Timeless with Julie Hartman podcast on the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up. The left have to fill their emptiness with a cause. So they make up causes like Christmas is not inclusive. When the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. The Christmas holiday is now on us. Let me take just a moment here and wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas. I hope you get some good time with your family, friends, loved ones, and get some time to relax and enjoy the good cheer at the birth of Christ. I love the Christmas holiday, but I recognize it is not like it used to be. Dennis Prager, my Jewish friend, looked at a piece from Paul Kenger in The American Spectator. There's a piece in the American Spectator, Christmas in a Better America, a fun look back at the 1970s. Those of us who remember the 1970s agree with this. In today's America, that of the depraved 2020s, corporate America doesn't dare utter the word Christmas. But it's at least 25 years ago that I had a professor from some law school in Indiana on my show, she was against the Christmas tree at her law school because it wasn't inclusive. I said, who doesn't it include? She said, Jews, for example, not knowing that she was speaking to a committed Jew. And I said, I'm a Jew. I don't understand your argument. You can celebrate it as your religious holiday, as a as a believing Christian does, or you could celebrate it as a national holiday, as others do. Not inclusive. You have to understand this is a basic principle of the contemporary world. People on the left have empty lives, as a general rule. I'm not talking about liberals. I'm talking about leftists. Liberals simply go along with the left. But the left have to fill their emptiness with a cause. So they make up causes like Christmas is not inclusive. So you have to say happy holidays. You have to say holiday party. 
because the person not celebrating Christmas as his religious holiday might be offended. If you're offended because your business has a Christmas party and you're not Christian, there's something wrong with you, not the business. It is so interesting that the, the man writing this, who's a, who's a major thinker, Paul Kengor, I've had him on the show, he's, he's a very serious thinker, that he looks back to the 1970s as a glory day, as a glory period in America. I mean, that was the time of, of some serious anti-war demonstrations, sometimes riots, school buildings taken over by left-wing students, and a whole host of tensions in the country. And yet he looks back at it, and he's right. I'm not differing with him. I'm just noting that you don't have to even go back to the 1950s to think, oh, what a, what a happy, happiest time of the year. People used to walk around singing Christmas carols. Are you offended by that if you're not a Christian? Paul Kengor writes in The Spectator so correctly how the world was so different. Yep. They fly rainbow flags for a full month every uh, summer. He's talking about big businesses in America. They won't say Christmas party, but they'll put out LGBT flags. Because the national, according to the left, really the national holiday is LGBTQ month, Indigenous Peoples Day, no more Columbus Day, no more America as it was known until a few years ago. That's basically what the left is about. There's no room for Christ at the inn, but drag queens are welcomed at the local library. Bullied and blackmailed by LGBTQ fanatics. Even NASCAR touts gay pride logos. And the NFL launched an absurd football is gay TV ad campaign. Christmas is out. LGBTQ is in. The contrast is clear not only during gay pride month, A reader a few weeks ago sent me a company email issued by the 20-something HR hack informing employees that in November, quote, we recognize, unquote, Intersex Day of Remembrance, November 8th, Transgender Awareness Week, November 13 to 19, and Transgender Day of Remembrance, November 20th. That was an official mailing of a company. The reader observed that in a few weeks it would be December. Would HR be sending out a special email noting that that month the company recognizes Christmas? Of course not. The lunatics, ladies and gentlemen, have taken over the asylum. The cultural barbarians are inside the gates. The left's long march through the institutions is complete. Welcome to the new America where the assault on Christmas continues by the discontented disciples of diversity. It was not that long ago when truly everything was different at Christmas time. Readers over the age of 50 could think of numerous examples of how the bygone America they grew up with was not so blatantly pagan. Personally, I could go on and on with examples, but one era consistently strikes me every year, Christmas in the 1970s. When I was a kid in the 1970s, television programming was thoroughly dominated by Christmas specials. That programming both reflected the culture and influenced the culture. 
Of course, this was true for the decades prior as well, but I'll stick with the 70s. In those days, the TV didn't offer hundreds of channels of vacuous claptrap and woke streams of political correctness. Obviously, there was no YouTube or Netflix or Amazon. There was, in effect, ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS. That was it. In those days, every evening from about Thanksgiving until December 25th, Christmas shows were broadcast. You can find an old TV guide and see for yourself. Major celebrities had annual Christmas shows. Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, Dean Martin, Andy Williams, Perry Como, Jimmy Durante and the Lennon sisters, Johnny Cash, John Denver, Wayne Newton, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Lawrence Welk, and whoever else had a popular variety show, Sonny and Cher, Donnie and Marie, the Osmonds. The Carpenters, The Muppets, Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers, Crystal Gale, you name it. Some of the scenes in these annual celebrations became iconic, such as Crosby and weirdo David Bowie coming together, the old generation and the new, to touchingly sing The Little Drummer Boy. Sitcoms did special Christmas episodes, Little House on the Prairie, The Waltons, All in the Family, The Brady Bunch, Laverne and Shirley, The Jeffersons, you name it. Of course, there were also the cartoons, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Charlie Brown Christmas, and so much more. Coming up. So with regard to those who are celebrating Christmas, why would you not have Santa Claus? Why would you not offer your kids the opportunity to have that fun? Because they'll grow up and think you lied to them? Yes, Santa Claus. In the final segment of the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Stay with us. This week in the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, a special program will place Christ right at the center of Christmas. Advent is preparation of the heart and the mind and the soul for the coming of Christ into this world. How should we respond? We'll hear from Alistair Begg. What this actually calls for us to do is to do what Simeon did. And that is simply, if you like, to embrace Christ. We'll also take a look at two Christmas classics, A Christmas Carol. If they would rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. And the Charles Schultz classic. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Be sure to join us and visit our website at ChristianOutlook.com. Welcome back to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. I know there are a lot of things Americans disagree on today. I guess in America today we have to include Santa Claus on the list of things that divide us as well. Let's return for a few more minutes with Dennis Prager. All of my broadcast career, I have made the case for people who celebrate Christmas to include Santa Claus for their kids. As a general rule, I believe it is very important to make religion fun as well as serious for kids. It's important to appeal to their emotions as well as their intellect, their conscience, their faculty of reason. All of them are important. So with regard to those who are celebrating Christmas, why would you not have Santa Claus? Why would you not offer your kids the opportunity to have that fun? Because they'll grow up and think you lied to them? There's something wrong with a person who says, My parents told me about Santa Claus, 
And when I grew up and realized that Santa Claus doesn't actually exist, I realized that the whole religious claim was false. Or I came to realize my parents lied to me. Anybody who draws either of those conclusions is a fool. You must have had a really great upbringing if you're angry at your parents for Santa Claus. You really had to to stretch to find something to be annoyed at them with regard to. So, uh, Mr. Smith, uh, what uh, what brings you to uh, my th- psychotherapeutic uh, practice here? My, well, trouble with my parents, really. And what was that, uh, Ms. Smith? They lied to me. Really? Your parents lied to you? Was this a regular practice? Every single year. Your parents lied to you every year? Wow. It's a good thing you made an appointment with me. You might need you might even need shock therapy. And what did they say every year? They played along with Santa Claus. Oh. You must have PTSD. Post traumatic Santa disorder. That's what it really that was the original. PTSD. You got really great parents if you're ticked off at them over Santa Claus. So to the parents, may I say, if your child gets angry at you later on for telling them there's a Santa Claus, you got one unhappy puppy for a kid. Your kid will make only one person happy in his or her life, his or her therapist, because they're going to be there a while. Thank you for joining the Town Hall Review with you, Hewitt. Catch up on earlier episodes at our website, townhallreview.com. Special thanks to executive producer Russell Schubin, producers David Pouchon, Michael Cook, Jacob Ordunia, Tim Gantner, Adam Ramsey, and Dwayne Patterson. Let me say thanks once again to our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. I'm Hugh Hewitt, wishing you once again a very Merry Christmas. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.